Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you're new to fullness, we, we love to worship. Uh, we love to declare that our God is worthy of all praise and glory. So every Sunday morning we gather together to worship passionately, uh, I pray, and uh, see His presence move among us. We try and give opportunity for prayer for people to receive what God may be doing at their point of need, whether it's, as you saw this morning, could could go a number of different ways, and we always study the Word of God together. So we believe in the power of the Spirit, the power of the Word of God. It's going to be great. It's very appropriate, I think, that I'm doing this series on work entitled This Time Tomorrow on Labor Day weekend. Uh, Labor Day pays tribute to the American worker. All our contributions and achievements It's traditionally observed on the first Monday of September. Uh, it was created out of the labor movement of the late 1800s. Um, if you from kind of recall your history, the, um, the Industrial Revolution comes in the middle 1800s and factories and systems move to cities and uh, we were largely an agricultural society uh, up until that point, and now we've become a more industrialized society. And in the big cities and in the industrial complex, there were no guidelines for how workers were treated. So uh, many times, just to make a, a living, to stay alive, the workers in these factories would work 12 to 14-hour days, seven days a week. Uh, it, it, the abuses became rampant. The working conditions became horrific. Children uh, as young as five years old, uh, I was just uh, celebrating with the classes, their daughter's turning five tomorrow. It just kind of struck me or this week. But it just struck me, having a five-year-old work in a factory without any kind of indication that this was wrong. And so in the late 1800s, the, uh, the workers started to gather together saying, this is killing us. Trying to stay alive is killing us. And they formed labor unions and things started happening in the 1880s that uh, led to the formation. Strikes started to occur, especially in Chicago and New York. And in those cities, there were riots that broke out uh, in various places as they tried to get some sort of common wage and hours and some sort of human working conditions in these various industrialized complex. In New York on September 5th, 1882, 10,000 workers gathered and had what was the first Labor Day parade as they took time off from work without pay to march through the city. Some 12 years later, in uh, 1894, so if my math is right, we're celebrating the 125th anniversary of Labor Day. I need like Micah Snow in here to help me with my math, but I think it's 125 years ago that um, Congress finally enacted that the first Monday of September would be set aside to honor the American worker. And hence we have, for most of us, what we think of as the end of summer a three-day weekend, but really is in honor of work in America. And it brings me again to the question of what is work? What is work? We've, 
I, I'm uh, giving credit to these two books, that, uh, two Christian books that I've read, and I'm, I'm giving you a lot of information summarized in these two books. I would encourage you to read them if you're more interested in this topic. Every Good Endeavor, of course, by Tim Keller and uh, Work Matters by Tom Nelson are both very, very important work, uh, works on work. But the point of this entire series, this time tomorrow, is this. The majority of your life is going to be spent in one of two activities, and it's not at church. Now, you could combine one of them in church, which is sleep, which is some of what some of you do, uh, but the majority of your life is going to be spent in either work or sleep. Some of you try to go to, you get the point. Anyway, um, we, I, I don't want to spend my whole life equipping you just to do church because it's the minority of your life. My goal is to equip you to do what you do the majority of your life. And I, I can't equip you to sleep. I pray God speaks to you in dreams and visions. But that's not, I'm talking about work. I want to close the gap between Sunday morning and Monday morning. I want to I let you know that, that work is, is, is God's creation, that he made it, he redeemed it. He, he wants you to worship through your work. And so this morning, we're going to talk about why work matters and what is work. And over these past couple of weeks, we've been doing interviews with various people and their jobs, which I've loved. I hope you've enjoyed it. And so this morning, Morgan Monday is going to come, and she's going to share with us. I'm going to ask her some questions, and we're going to pray for her and everybody in a related kind of field. So, hi, Morgan. Hi. <laughs> Good. Are you on? I'm going to help you. It is on. It is on here. Try it again. Hello. There we there go. We We're on. So what are you going to be doing this time tomorrow? Well, it's Labor Day, I, so that's hopefully right. not working. What are you going to be doing this time 48 hours from now or so? Um, so Tuesday, I, so I own a small hair studio in Avondale. And so Tuesday morning, I'll be teaching a class for my staff on bob haircuts. <laughs> oh, wow. um, yeah. And so Tuesdays, I am behind the chair all day. And then other days of the week, I do more administrative stuff like um, planning, scheduling, calling contractors, stuff like that. So you own a studio in yes. Avondale. Yes. So part of you is a business owner. Yes. And so you have to do all the administration for the business. Yes. And you still cut people's hair? Yep. Still yep. do hairstylists. Yes. Now, Morgan used to own a studio... Down 280. Down 280 yes. called? Morgan Ashley. Somewhere. Morgan Ashley. Yeah. But they just sold that one and now have opened this business in yeah. Avondale. Yeah. And why Avondale? So Avondale is kind of on the fringe a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, there's such a diverse amount of people there. There's, you have artists. You have young, old. You have homeless. You mm -hmm. have prostitutes. You have over the railroad tracks, you see a lot of crime. Um, and I really wanted it to be there because I feel like, um, I don't know. So I, a few weeks ago, you talked about people being called from the workplace to the mission field. Uh -huh. And I feel like I was called from being a missionary to the workplace like uh -huh. 20, 15 years ago. Right. And so I really have always had that like, what am I doing for the kingdom right. mindset? So being in Avondale, I feel like we can be light there uh -huh. and just love the community, like practically love the community, pick yeah. up trash, smile at people. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So um, yeah. what Morgan is saying is she sees her workplace as a mission field. 
I mean, what she's doing there. So what are your biggest challenges? Biggest challenges? Um, so my hands are in a lot of different things. Like I'm doing hair, I'm leading staff, I'm doing one-on-one -on -one meetings, all of that. And so my biggest challenge in a pragmatic sense is I am not very organized. Like not organized at all. So I try to staff people to help support me in that. But um, that's one of my biggest struggles or challenges. And then the other is um, I think in our culture right now, there's a big sense of like the, the social media culture of like seeing what everyone else is doing mm -hmm. and feeling like, oh, maybe I should be doing that. Or maybe we should change our business model to do this. And I think even in an individual sense, like, I can go on Instagram just for me and be like, oh, wow, their home is awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, just like comparison. I think that's the struggle in knowing what the Lord has called me to do. Mm -hmm. And even if it doesn't seem that impactful, if he's told me to do it, it's holy. So, yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. And so in addition to those, what can we be praying for you about? Um, praying for, I mean, honestly, safety at the studio. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there is... Some crime in the area. I mean, it's pretty safe where we are, but, like, my, I have an all-female staff and just the safety sense. Um, also, just that we would be intentional and that the Lord would give me wisdom in the doors to walk through. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like sometimes there are no doors open, and then sometimes all the doors are open. Mm -hmm. And just to have wisdom to know, like, which one to step forward through. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Isn't that great? Isn't that Thanks. great? So, uh, a week from Monday... Yeah. A week from tomorrow, there's a ladies' event at the studio. So if um, to, to come and see what they're doing and to pray and to socialize and to pray over their studio and to hear, hear a little bit more. So ladies, we hope you all go to that. If you're here today and you're a business owner or um, I'm kind of expanding a little, um, Morgan cuts uh, hair. She works with her hands. So if you're in a field, an industry where you work, with your hands, stand up, and I want to pray for you. I know there's some people here that are both business owners and work with their hands, and I'm, not going, to, I'm going to call you out if you don't stand up. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. I didn't know if you were going to stand up, dude. So, all right, let's pray for these. And I'm going to uh, pray for Morgan and as a representative of this entire group. Lord, we're so grateful and thank you for those who uh, own businesses and help uh, in various ways, I pray that, God, you give them wisdom and, as, as Morgan has expressed, and just organization and handling uh, employees in a way that honors you and uh, being light in those industries. Uh, Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon them. Uh, give them wisdom in the days ahead. Lord, pray for safety over their businesses and that, God, you would honor them as they honor you. For those who work with their hands, God, in building things or cutting hair or repairing things, Lord, whatever that might be, God, I pray that everything they put their hands to would prosper, that, God, you would bless them and, uh, in their work, and may they honor you and see great things occur by what they build or uh, how they use those incredible skills uh, that you've, you've given them. Lord, we thank you. We bless you for this group, and uh, we look forward in the days ahead of how you're going to use them to expand your kingdom in these various areas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just give Morgan a hand. Thank you, Morgan. So what we've been looking at in these days as we've been looking at this sermon series on work is 
uh, we've been trying to reframe work to, to see that uh, your work matters to God and God matters to your work. Uh, how to, within the context last week of God created work, He's redeemed work, we worship through work. We also want to look at redefining work. Work is, we're going to see, I'll, I'll get to this in just a minute, how we look at work. What are some of the characteristics of work from a biblical standpoint that will help us redefine it? We're going to look at reaffirming work, that all work, let me just say it again, I, I've said this over and over again, I can't emphasize it enough, Gabriel's going to preach on this, but this is one of the message of my heart, all work is God's work. All work is God's work. Uh, it, I, I am a pastor of a church, but my work, my work is no more godly than your work. Because all work is God's work. It, we'll, we'll look at that next week. And we want to look at the truth about restoring work, that there's coming a day when there's a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to talk a little bit about it today, but more in a couple of weeks. Today I want to talk about redefining work. Redefining work. I used this illustration a couple of weeks ago during this introduction, but uh, I know there are different people here today, and I think this is a good illustration of the problem we have with work. And it's this. Back in the election between um, Mitt Romney uh, and Obama, President Obama, uh, someone asked him, Mitt Romney, asked him about his economics and how, he how, did, how did he understand the challenge that women faced in uh, economics? And he stated something about that his wife, Anne, helped him understand the challenges that women faced in economics. And a commentator by the name of Hillary Rosen said this, guess what? His wife has actually never worked a day in her life. She never really dealt with the kinds of economic issues that a majority of the women in this country are facing in terms of how do we feed our kids, how do we send them to school, and why do we worry about their future? Ann Romney responded to this by, said, by saying, I made a choice to stay home and raise five boys. Believe me, it was hard work. So you have this commentator saying she never worked a day in her life, and Ann Romney said, I, I think I've worked. I think I've worked by raising five kids. Now, here's the issue. The commentator, Hillary Rosen, had a definition of work that work was what you got paid to do. Work was about compensation. And what Amnon Romney was saying, and what I believe is the biblical viewpoint is this. Work is not about compensation. It's about contribution. It's about what you contribute to the kingdom of God. Now, in turn, you may be compensated for it or you may not, but it is about what we contribute. I want to look at Colossians 3 this morning about this section on work. Now, look up here for just a second. I'm going to give you, I'm going to try and do this in like two minutes because as we read this passage, there is, so to speak, an elephant in the room on this passage where I'm going to talk about where it says work to Jesus, not to men. Because Paul in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6 gives what he, we term rules for the household. And he talks about marriage and family. And he talks about slavery, the slave-master relationship. 
And what happens in Colossians 3 is he's talking about slaves work in this way. Now, I understand as soon as I say the word slave, we, our mind automatically goes to the American, African experience of slavery, the horrific, indefensible slavery that occurred in this country. The problem we have with all of this, and passages like this were used terribly to defend that practice in America. Um, what, what, the problem with this, without going in depth, I would encourage you to listen to Gabriel's sermon he did what was on Philemon a year ago. Um, it was really a good expression of, and I've also preached out of Colossians where I've talked about this in depth. But two things. Number one, slavery in the Roman Empire was not like slavery we had in the 1800s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. There was a vast difference. Um, there were some 90 million slaves in the Roman Empire. The, thing about, the difference was many of them put themselves under slavery because they had no economic outlet. They had no way to survive. So they made themselves bond servants or slaves, but then they could work their way out. Uh, they could work their way out of slavery, and the vast majority of people who were in slavery worked their way out of slavery by the time they were 30 or so. Also, one of the major differences is that slaves in the Roman empires could actually own property and, in fact, hired or owned other slaves. So there was a vast difference, and I'm not going to, again, I could go on, and I don't want to get too bogged down in this uh, um, idea of slavery, but, but I know as soon as I start reading the passage, our minds are going to be like, well, this is not about work. This is about slavery. What is the difference? And and here's what I want to say. You know, many of us are disturbed at times because the Bible doesn't come right out and say, man, we should, you, under God, slavery should be outlawed. Under God, people should be not in this system. There are many times we're bothered by circumstances and situations like that. And Paul in the New Testament, even Jesus doesn't really take that direct approach against government. You know, he didn't come out and say, hey, we should rebel against Rome uh, they're oppressive. Most of his really tough talk had to do against who? The religious guys. The guys who were pushing God on people, not the governmental guys. But one of the things that I believe the New Testament does that destroys the underpinnings, the foundation, so to speak, of slavery is this. In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. I'm, there's no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free, male or female. Instead of saying, let's destroy this system, what Paul does is he says, let's elevate every person. Let's elevate to the point that male and female, we're the same in Christ. Slave and free, we're the same in Christ. We, we have no, we can't even get our hands around how radical this idea of saying Philemon and Onesimus, your brothers in Christ. Your brothers in Christ. There is, when you start seeing somebody as a brother or sister in Christ, it totally changes your perspective on how you treat them and how they react to you. You don't own a brother or sister. You relate to them. So all of this is taking place in Colossians, and that's like a, hopefully, a two-minute discussion out of it. But what I want to look at in this passage, but I do think that 
that he's using the term master or slave, and please, let's see if we can overlook it just for in the context of the slavery issue and look at it from like employer-employee. How, how do we relate to the job and to the, to the boss and to the people around us? How do we work in conjunction in our society? What principles can we draw that help us define what, what work is? Are we good? Hello? We good to kind of look at this? All right, here's some of those characteristics. It's first one is this. Um, I skipped. Work involves diligence. Work involves diligence. In other words, if you're looking to define work, you can't define work without being diligent. Well, you can, but not the, from the biblical standpoint. Not from the biblical standpoint. Look what Paul says. I'm going to start in Colossians 3.22. I'm going to read the ESV because I like the term bond servant rather than the term slave, as the ESV puts it. And so he says this in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now again, overlooking just for a second that whole bond servant master, think of it in this way. When you work, you're not to work in such a way that you're an eye pleaser. You know the eye pleaser? You know, you, you, you're kind of playing solitaire on your computer until the boss wakes in, you click it, and now you're sending emails kind of thing. The eye-pleaser is the one who only works hard when somebody's watching, when somebody's looking at them. Now, I have five children. I understand completely what eye-pleasing is all about. Um, you know, I mean, they would work one way when I wasn't watching versus another way. When I was watching, when they used to mow my grass every so often, I'd knock on the window and wave, not, not to be just totally ugly like you're mowing my grass, but more like, hey, I'm watching, uh, because they were more diligent when they thought somebody was watching, you know, and as we get older, the same thing occurs. We, we stay more diligent if we think somebody is watching, and Paul's premise here is this, somebody's always watching, God sees. And if you're working unto the Lord and you see him as the one whose eyes are on you, then that will cause you to be more diligent. So in this idea of contribution versus compensation, there's this, it doesn't matter what you're getting paid. I'm contributing by what I'm doing, by the work that I'm doing, the work of my hands, by owning this business, by cutting people's hair, by building houses, by selling cars, by... By, by doing what I do, it's not meaningless, I'm contributing. And in my contribution, I want to be diligent in everything that I do. Our service to the, is to be sincerity of heart. This whole idea of sincerity, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing. The whole idea of sincerity has to do with outmixed motives, that there's a purity about it. I'm doing it because I'm working unto... I'm working unto the Lord. Paul's point is that we should, with a singleness of heart or a sincerity of heart, we should be working to please God. We, we don't have any trouble doing what our boss tells us because, unless it's illegal of some way, we, because we're working unto the Lord. Martin Luther King, in this famous quote that I also used a couple of weeks ago, but I love, I've always loved this quote, 
He says this, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. Sweep the streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pray, pray, pause, and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Thinking that what we're doing, we're doing with diligence, we're doing it well, we're, because we're doing it unto the Lord. So work, as we're defining it from a biblical standpoint, it, in, it involves diligence. It also engages passion. It engages passion. Uh, Colossians 3.23, reading the next verse, it says this, Whatever you do, work heartedly. Heartily. As, sorry, my words are fumbling today. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Uh, the Holman Bible translation says it like this. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. In other words, there's a passion involved, an enthusiasm involved. Something we can get our hearts behind. Why? Because all of our work is an act of worship to the Lord. Here's one of the problems I have, just me personally, is that I keep using this illustration like we work as an act of worship that should engage our passion. The problem is I've been to a lot of churches where worship itself was not very passionate. You know what I mean? So sometimes the illustration falls apart because when I say worship, it should be engaging passion, but the problem is I've been to worship services where there was such a lack of passion. It was like there, there was no enthusiasm or heart even behind worship. But if we get worship right, in other words, with our whole heart, then we can also engage our work in the same way where there's a passion involved in our work. I mean, really, can you clean your room with passion, young adults? Can you sell clothes with passion? Can you cut hair with passion? Can you build houses with passion? I believe Paul is saying yes. Because the idea is this. Who are you working for? Now, here's the change of perspective that we all have to get, and we struggle with it. I struggle with it. You're going to struggle with it, is that you're not working for the man, right, the boss. You're not working for yourself. You're ultimately working under the Lord. And if we understand this and our relationship with God is passionate, then it should translate in the truth that our Work is passion. It ignites passion. It should change our perspective. There's this old story that's been told a million times, but I, I always loved it. it. This guy is wandering through town, and he comes across, across three guys hammering on stone, and they're building a cathedral in this town. And he asks one guy, hey, what are you doing? And the first guy goes, eh, I'm chipping away at these stones. And then he asked another guy, what are you doing? He said, I'm working to make some money. And then he asked the third guy, what are you doing? He said, I am building a great cathedral. And the difference, they're all chipping the same stones, but they have a totally different perspective on what they're, on what they're doing. 
Enthusiasm will help us. Passion will help us. And the only way to, you can't just manufacture passion, by the way. You can, but it's going to go short term. Passion that's um, self-engaged, it's going to burn quick and be gone. But when we really see ourselves working under the Lord, then it'll last longer. Will Rogers said this, give 100% effort, work at your work. Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Uh, think about it, you'll get it in just a second. Um, work at your work. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, eh, do it, just get by. No, he says, do it with all your might. Mark Twain said, work is not a, excuse me, work is not a concrete thing. It is a mental attitude. Nothing is either work or play, but thinking it makes it so. We need to re-engage our perspective. Excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. We need to re-engage our perspective. Haven't you always found the story of Joseph just so unbelievable? I mean, the story of Joseph, he gets sold into slavery. His brothers abandon him. They tell their father he's dead. He goes and he works as a slave in Potiphar's house. And he's doing such a great job that he then, you know, gets attacked. The wife accuses him. He gets thrown in jail. He does a great job in jail. He elevates there. How can he do these how can he do this well as a slave or as a prisoner or ultimately even as the second most powerful man in all of Egypt? How can he do these things in the same way? Because Joseph had a perspective that he was not working for himself, but he was honoring God. And whatever he did, he did with a certain enthusiasm or certain, certain passion. So work is... Work is diligent when we see it under the Lord, but when we also see it under the Lord, the contribution we're making, it is also passion. It engages passion in our life, and it enables us to be expectant in the way we live our lives. There's an expectancy. <clears throat> Too often we think that work is about the paycheck I'm going to receive Friday or you know, twice a month or once a month, however often you get paid. The expectancy that we have is in the paycheck. But really what Paul says, the expectancy, the payoff is in the eyes of God. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Paul is saying, look, work with a sense of expectancy that payday is someday but not today. That there's a future. Now, I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks when we talk about the whole idea of heaven and the future and work. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it right now. But the idea that there is an inheritance or reward if we're working unto the Lord. Now, this is where a lot of people, they just, it, it's like their circuit blows. They're saying like, okay, I'm working unto the Lord. I'm being diligent and passionate because I'm working under him and I don't really need to expect anything. But the Bible, on the other hand, says, no, you can expect something. It's not like you're working for nothing. There is an inheritance that's coming if you work diligently and passionately under the Lord. But the reward's going to come from him. What's this reward, pastor? What are you, what are you saying? I don't know what the reward's going to look like. But i got to figure, if God says it's a reward, 
then it's a reward, right? I don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, I, we'll talk about what it could possibly look like as far as faithful with little and trusted with much and all of that in the, in the days ahead, but expect, a, expect God to do great things. We contribute, I believe, when we work with expectancy. We contribute when we work with expectancy. It's human nature. Final point is this work demands fairness. Work demands fairness. Let's flip it the other way. He, he talks about masters. In other words, owners, employers. How are you to treat people? Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. The work of the master, the overseer, the employer is to treat people fairly, rightly, and with justice. The guiding principle here that I think changes everything is that the employer and the employee, they serve ultimately the same master, the Lord Jesus. And we all need to learn how to treat one another fairly. You know, I, back when I, I had bosses, so to speak, when I, had an, I was in different jobs, I've told you about some of my fun job experiences, I've had great bosses, and I've had horrific bosses. And you have probably too. You've had people who, who treated people fairly, who really wanted to engage their employees, who really wanted to see their best brought out. And then you've had other people who just loved to flaunt the power and authority they had by telling people what to do. Now, my experience in the workplace, probably like your experience in the workplace, my experience was... The guys that treated people fairly and treated men and women with respect, wanted to see them advance, they actually got a lot more out of their employee than did the person who was abusive. Now, they, they felt like I, you know, they needed to beat them down in order to, to get them to do what they wanted to do, but that really wasn't the case generally. Treat people fairly. Why? Because I believe it's God's kingdom principle at work. If you see, if you're an employer and you're just a boss over anybody, you got two people in your office that you supervise. If you see that you're working unto the Lord, then you'll want to see them do great. You want to see them advance. Again, another great biblical example, if you want to go read about it more in depth, and you know the story is Daniel. Daniel is taken into captivity, and he serves a pagan king in a pagan culture. who uh, They're not God-fearing at all, and yet he continues to honor God so that God honors him. Next thing you know, over the years, many years, he ends up being over people. So he's both under a pagan king, but he's over people. And the people under him, the people equal to him, and the people over him looked at Daniel, and they had, they're looking for something to attack him with. They're looking for something to accuse him about. But Daniel so works for the Lord in a way that honors him that he does his job great. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't steal. 
He doesn't abuse people. They had nothing to accuse him about except, man, the guy prays every day. Prays multiple times a day. That's the best they could do to get him was that he, he prayed. Even the king, after he throws Daniel in the lion's den, and he comes, he, you know, when the sun, uh, when he came near the den after the night that he threw Daniel in the lion's den, he calls to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, I love this, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? See, to me, this is what happens when a person works to God and sees their contribution not as what they're receiving, but they're working diligently, they're working passionately, they're, they're, they're expectant of God to move when God says He's going to move, they're, they're, they're doing things rightly, justly, fairly. Even a pagan king comes and says, Daniel, servant of the living God. He doesn't say, Daniel, my servant. Daniel, this is your king. There's a recognition that our contribution in society is that we serve someone much, much, much higher than ourselves. And I believe that when we do, God will do great things. Now, did Daniel have rough days? He got thrown in a lion's den. Yeah, he had rough days. I mean, as soon as he was going into that lion's den, can't you see it? You know, by now, Daniel, by the way, is an old man. Daniel was not like 20 years old. He's probably 70 years old when he gets thrown in the lion's den. So he, that's a whole different thing. But he's getting thrown in the lion's den, and can you see him? God, you know, 70 years. I've, I've really, I mean, all these kings, all these things I've done, I didn't eat that food. I didn't dishonor your name. I didn't do, and look, now, this is the end I'm going to get. I'm going to get thrown in with a bunch of lions. I mean, you're going to have bad days. You're going to, things are going to be rough. There's no guarantee that God's going to do. He, he's going to take you through some tough times. I, I'm going to preach a sermon. I was joking with my, the, Gabriel Scott this morning. I'm going to preach a sermon sometime in the next six months on, on the theology of praying away a hurricane. Um, <laughs> you probably don't get it, but, you know, I, I see all these Facebook posts. Hey, pray a wall of protection up over Florida so this hurricane doesn't hit us. Okay, great. Well, where's the hurricane going to go? I'm praying it's going to hit Carolina. You know, I kind of think. So I'm praying my protection over your disaster. That's what I'm praying. That doesn't seem right, does it? We need to seek God to say, God, I don't understand everything you're doing, but here's what. My work is contribution. My work is I'm going to contribute to you by being diligent, by being expectant, to, to be passionate, and to be, to be fair. And we never know what God will do in our lives. We never know what way he'll use us in the days ahead. There, there are going to be things that are going to open for you that you can't even imagine right now. You can't even pr pretend to imagine. I, I, I saw this story on the Today Show this week. Every so often, yeah, I watch the Today Show. Whatever. <laughs> uh, I, was, 
I was watching the hurricane because I wanted to pray it away, and so, um, but I was watching the Today Show, and they were interviewing this woman named Joy Milne, who is a Scottish woman and a nurse, and she was married to a doctor by the name of Les, and they'd been married for some years when Joy started noticing that Les smelled different. It's just kind of different. She's like, he smelled different. So I started saying, hey, Les, you need to shower more. I'm not even trying to do a Scottish brogue. But she said, you need to shower. You need to get cleaned up because you just, you don't smell right. So the, finally she just gave up and said, you know, this is just Les. This is, I guess, aging. You just start smelling different. And so she just gave up on it. Les was a doctor. She was a nurse. Ten years later, Les was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And, and they went to a support group for Parkinson's patients. And she walked into the room and she said to Les, everybody in here smells like you. And he's like, what? She goes, I, don't, I can't explain it, but I'm just telling you, everybody in here smells like you smell. Now, Les was a doctor and he, he said, well, that, there's got to be something to this. So he started talking to some other people and they were like, no, there's no way that she's, it's all in her head kind of thing. So they designed this test where uh, the, the medical research community designed this test where they got uh, uh, five Parkinson's patients and five non-Parkinson's patients. They had them all wear identical t-shirts for 24 hours. And then they brought Joy in and said um, to smell the fabric on these t-shirts. Joy correctly identified all five of the Parkinson's patients out of the ten. And she identified one in the non-group, non-Parkinson's group, and the researchers just said, hey, you know, everybody makes a mistake. It's incredible that she got all five, but she just made a mistake with this one until nine months later that person was diagnosed with Parkinson's. What they discovered was that early in the Parkinson's disease, the first manifestation of it is some chemicals are released in the body that get in the oil of a skin, and they're, they, they're working to identify what these molecules are that Joy was able to identify through her smell. They, they said Joy Smeller <laughs> is someone somewhere between that of a dog and a human. And she had such a sensitive smell smell that she never even really knew about. So they're developing a, a swab test that can swab the skin and identify if someone has Parkinson's years before they manifest. Because once a person manifests, there's no cure for Parkinson's at this point. But if they can identify someone early, then they can help keep the disease from progressing as quickly. Because the first manifestation of Parkinson's was usually some sort of tremors. By then, it's too late. Once you develop tumors, you can't back off. But if you can get it early, then you might. Here's my point. And this story just was remarkable. This woman was just going through her life, doing her life. Suddenly, she, she goes from a minor Scottish woman married to a doctor, and her husband, Les, eventually died of Parkinson's, to a woman who is now changing the face of the medical community point is that you have no idea what you may be able to contribute. Now, your contribution may not be 
the identif early identification of Parkinson or some other disease. But who knows? But who knows? And my point is this, that if we change our definition of work, if we see that everything we do is unto God and advancing his kingdom, then we have no idea where we may end up. But if we sit back and say, I'm just working for the paycheck. All that matters is the money. Then we don't have any, we'll be short-circuiting God's plans for our lives. We won't be harvesting our sphere of influence. We won't be seen as making a difference. We won't, we won't contribute like we're supposed to contribute. But when, but when we work as unto the Lord, who knows? I'm going to get to this in the days ahead, but I do think part of our inheritance is the people we take with us to heaven. And when we harvest within our sphere and work as unto the Lord, that part of the inheritance that we're going to see is the inheritance of the lost who have come to know Jesus as a result of our doing. Because that's all we really get to take with heaven with us is people, relationships, work unto the Lord, be diligent, passionate, expectant, just in your work. Lord, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, that there are 200 just remarkable people in this room right now. And that, God, as we work under you, we're going to see incredible things happen in the days ahead. That, God, you're going to move in our lives, and it's going to be remarkable what you're going to do. And like Joy Milton, who knows what the future might hold. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. May we, be, may we be the most diligent workers on all the planet. May we work joyfully and passionately unto you, whatever we're doing. Lord, I pray that we will work with a great sense of expectation that, that, that you're going to move in people's lives as we show the glory of the Lord in our workplace and that we're going to be just and fair in all that we do. Or change the idea that we work just for money to that we work for the harvest of men and women. We work for the glory of the Lord. We work to see your kingdom advance. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.